Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. Hey, neighbors. This week, of course, there's the E3 event, which is covering the gaming industry, but all eyes are really focusing on next week for Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference, where they're going to be probably introducing new Macs, previewing the next version of the iOS for the iPhone and the iPad, and also when we'll be getting a copy of Mountain Lion. This week on the show, we'll be talking with Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com and Ted Landau, whose user-friendly view will grace us on the Tech Night Owl Live. Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. Last week, he was, I guess, the court reporter as Tim Cook was interviewed at the All Things Digital D10 conference, we have Daniel Aaron Dilger plying his trade for Apple Insider, getting everything down. So did you capture most of it? Hi, Gene. Well, there was a lot at the All Things Digital conference. It's two and a half days of, of pretty intense sessions, and there's a lot of people to talk to. It's a smaller conference, but everybody there is you can have a fascinating conversation with. And the people that are talking you get a, it is just really interesting the, the spectrum of different types of people who are all you know, really important in their field or saying really important things. And so, yeah, it was, it was a lot to take in. And of course it started with Tim Cook and I was live blogging that actually it was, which I'm not, I'm not the best like live blogger. I think I, I don't, I'm not really a stenographer. I'm, I'm more of somebody who writes from their, what's already in their brain. <laughs> so it's a bit of a challenge, but I, I was trying to trying to do it, do a good job. You came across pretty well. You got Thanks. most of it. A couple of things I saw you missing, but you got a pretty good slant on it. Now, here, of course, you can't present your own comments. You have to basically copy whatever they say, what the questioners say, what his response is, as accurately as possible. Right. Now, having listened to this and being very busy copying this, what kind of sense do you get of Tim Cook as a man? I assume he was well-rehearsed for that session, certainly. Well, he was prepared. In the past, I, I kind of got the sense that Cook would just kind of parrot the same things over again. Like he had a couple things that he liked to say, and he would just keep saying them. And, you know, everybody has things like that that they say. But he does seem to have, similar to Jobs, if, if you ask Jobs a question, he could just target that. And sometimes he would step around it, but whatever he said was interesting. You know? Now, target like, that meaning answering the question precisely. Well, yeah, just a huge breadth of knowledge. It wasn't like, oh, I'll have to get back to you on that because I don't know. I mean, in some cases, that you know, if you ask a technical question about something. But he had just a broad understanding of everything that was happening. You could ask him about anything, and he, would, he could speak knowledgeably about it. It's and, not like most corporate executives who expect their assistants to tell them what the answers are. And I'm thinking someone like Meg Whitman, the CEO of HP, and I cannot see any evidence that she has a clue about what HP does, except in a very general fashion. That's interesting. I, I'm, I'm not as experienced in covering Meg Whitman, but what was, in, what was interesting, one of the speakers was, of course, Larry Ellison of Oracle. And he made the comment, because you, you know Oracle has been kind of at war with SAP, because you know, they stole their software, and... Uh, they're fighting Google, and they're, they were fighting HP, and they went back and forth. One of the, the big problem they had with HP is that they were in the process of suing SAP, and HP hired their CEO. 
And, um, and after firing Mark Hurd, who Oracle hired, and then HP was mad at Oracle for bringing him on. And it was just this whole like tension between the two companies. And they're fighting about various things, including whether or not Oracle was going to put its database on, on the Itanium servers that HP was building. And one of the things that he mentioned was that now that um, Leo is out as the CEO and Meg Whitman is back, that he sees that as being, Larry, Larry Ellison sees that as being a good thing for HP and moving forward. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, good thing because, in what sense, that somebody knows how to manage the company? Yeah. Okay, it's not so much someone knows how to actually have a vision. Well, I mean, you know, HP, you know, everybody notes that the founders of HP were kind of like laid that groundwork for Silicon Valley that everyone else kind of aspired to be. And not just having a successful company, but also having principles and, you know, vision and doing great things. And a lot of companies have followed that. And, you know, Jobs said he was inspired by that, of course, because he, he worked for HP um, when he was a kid, when he was a teenager, a little bit. So and, it was, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people got started in some in some connection with HP. And since then, I mean, it's kind of morphed into the sort of big, boring company that wasn't clear what they did or, or where they were specifically going. They were just making them the most computers. And then they had this series of CEO problems where, first of all, they combined with uh, Compaq. It was like this huge mega merger that laid off a lot of people. And, you know, it was just kind of like, what is the goal? Just to, like, make the most computers? I mean, what what is, what's the purpose? What's What's the... What's the vision? And it seemed like that kind of got lost. And remember when Jobs was, was laying out the plans for the new Apple campus, he was describing one of the things was that HP was pulling out of that area that, that Apple bought the land. And he kind of described it as being, you know, HP was this great company that was kind of shrinking back. And you've definitely seen that in, in computers. I mean, Apple was making more, if you include the, the, um, the iPad, of course, Apple's now making more computers than HP, which is pretty fantastical. I mean, I remember that think, HP is a much larger company in terms of the number of employees. Yeah, I mean, HP is a huge company, and they, they do all this stuff. I mean, they have they have a server business that's huge. They have you know they, this huge printer business. They have all these things, and you know they hire this guy to come in after the whole compact thing, and a couple of years pass, and um, then they hire somebody who's. <laughs> And one of the one of the things Ellison is, I thought it was terribly funny to watch. I mean, just just to observe, he's just like such a personality. And one of the things he he was just like <laughs> rattling HP for <laughs> what they'd done in the past. But one of the things he was pointing out that he specifically mentioned was this idea that um, that bringing this guy and he's like, I I think we're going to stop making any computers. <laughs> Not sure, but you know, it's just funny the way he phrased it. But yeah, that was just insane. You know, HP like announces that maybe they're going to stop. Maybe they're going to spin off their computer group. Maybe not. Maybe they will. <laughs> and of course, at that point, anyone thinking of buying an HP computer says, why am I doing this? If they're going to stop making these products, I'm going to have a dead-end product. But then we have Meg Whitman who kind of reigns that in, but she's still looking for a strategy. I mean, I've listened and looked at what she said since then. And it looks like we're going to restructure and try to make the company run leaner, meaner, all that stuff. Okay, what's your strategy? 
what new vision can we see from HP? We're still going to have the printers. We'll still have the personal computers. We'll still have the servers and the services. What's new? What's different? Huh? Don't hear anything. HP is kind of like Microsoft in the sense that you get this sense that they look at Apple, for example, and they see, oh, Apple's doing this right. We should be doing that. But instead of doing that, they do it kind of like in their own way, which is excessively flawed. And so HP has tried to come out with sort of blockbuster product releases, kind of emulating the style of Apple and, you know, splashing out something interesting. But they'll come out with dozens of products all at once that are not really that interesting, just dumping them out in a way that nobody can really take them in. A massive dumping session. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, if somebody was really following HP and excited about the company, it would be too much to, to take in. And I don't think there's really that many people that are HP fanboys, you know, really excited about the company. And that's one of the things that uh, was mentioned during the conference about Apple, is that if you're buying a Dell and you get mad at Dell, you go buy a, an HP computer or something else. Any, any PC maker, you can buy their, their computer. They're pretty much interchangeable. Whereas if you're mad at Apple... You're going to buy another computer from Apple. <laughs> anyway, you're going to complain about it. You're going to be vocal. But of course, but you're adopting an entire platform so different. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger, who's different. I'm Gene Steinberg. This is the Tech Night Owl Live. This is typical for many companies these days. Your colleagues work at home. Your colleagues are traveling for business. But you need to get everyone together for an important corporate meeting. Well, I have a solution for you, neighbors. Go to meeting with HD Faces. You see, this way your team can meet face-to-face while online, no matter where in the world they are, and it takes only seconds to set up. You see, go to meeting by Citrix allows you to collaborate on files and plans online. And with HD Faces, you just need a webcam to turn your online meetings into a group HD video conference. Of course, you need a computer with HD. We assume you have that. You want to see how easy GoToMeeting with HD Faces is? Well, my listeners can try it free for 30 days. Don't wait for this special offer. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button. Use the promo code PODCAST. Be sure to use the promo code PODCAST to get that free 30-day trial of GoToMeeting with HD Faces. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237.
Did you know that 50% of heart attacks are brought on by infections? Did you know that hospitals are breeding grounds for antibiotic-resistant bugs like MRSA? The environment is infected with parasites, and the mild winter means ticks with Lyme disease, mosquitoes with West Nile virus, and cold and flu viruses will be on the rise. Protect yourself with nature's natural antiparasitic, antiviral, antifungal, antibiotic, Allicin, the heart of garlic. Get concentrated protection with Ali C and Ali Ban from AffinityHealthProducts.com. One capsule of Ali C equals 40 cloves of garlic or 100 garlic pills. With no garlic breath, Ali Ban has Allicin in spray, liquid, and cream forms with three times more strength than leading brands and cost less. Go to AffinityHealthProducts.com, spelled A-F-F-I-N-I-T-Y, HealthProducts.com, or call 877-888-7126. That's 877-888-7126. Protect yourself with Ali C or Ali Ban from AffinityHealthProducts.com. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. Only Batteries.com is where to turn for all your battery needs. In stock, fresh, guaranteed, fast shipping, non-rechargeable batteries, rechargeable batteries, battery chargers, custom battery packs, all brand names for all the batteries you use at home, the office, the cottage, and the car. Only Batteries.com. Get 25% off using coupon code 7500. Call right now, 1-800-660-7705, or visit OnlyBatteries.com. OnlyBatteries.com. That's OnlyBatteries.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. And we started focusing on Tim Cook's appearance at the All Things Digital D10 conference, where he spent a couple of hours with Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg of the Wall Street Journal talking about various and sundry things and delivering a very strong, a very powerful defense of Apple's ecosystem. Now, the thing I gather there is he doesn't hit you in the face as Jobs does. He just gets the job done. He gets his points across. He has a subtle sense of humor, which is pretty good. And it's a fascinating way of delivering things. Now, anything about what he said surprise you? Well, one of the big questions that everybody is trying to ask and establish is how is Cook different than Jobs? And that was kind of one of the things brought up, and they were asking, how are you different, and how are you going to change things? And what was interesting is he is a different person. However, if you look at what Jobs did, Jobs was one of the things that Cook said was that you know Jobs was heavily influ- heavily um, captivated by marketing and design and things like that. And one of the things Jobs was best at is recruiting great people. So he would bring on excellent people to run this and that and whatever. And one of the people that he brought on in I think it was ninety eight or shortly after he came back to Apple was Cook to run operations. And there was an interesting comment about 
what made you come to Apple? How did Jobs convince you to, to join Apple a decade ago? And he said he was actually not, like he, he arrived, he had been hit by a recruiter over and over again to check out this job at Apple. And he was kind of not really excited about it, but he was just going to do it because they, they had talked to him. And, you know, so he came, he came to do the thing without much expectation of this is going to be a great job. This was basically like going through the motions. Right. He was just showing up to kind of placate them is, is kind of the description that I got. But he said within five minutes of talking to Jobs, he knew he wanted to work at Apple. And the reason for it was that Jobs presented this kind of combination of passion and a real knowledge of where he was going, that he didn't see other places. The biggest thing, what I mean, the thing that really struck me was the consumers entering the consumer field. Because Apple in the 90s had always had this niche of artists and um you know, high-end animation and video first came out on, on the Macintosh. And if you're doing, you know, originally it was like if you're building video games, you do them on the Macintosh, you know, like Myst, one of the first kind of immersive games. So it was kind of like this high-level niche where the content producers were using Macintoshes and they were delivering content to consumers with cheap PCs running Windows, usually, or DOS. So that's the, that's the point where Jobs looked at the market and said, we need to bring this technology to the masses and make it desirable. And of course the iMac was a big part of that and and then pushing into you know subsequent products like the iBooks and the you know consumer level products that everybody wanted. And of course the iPod was another example of that and the iPhone and the iPad. So now Apple is almost exclusively a, a consumer company and the other things that they've worked on servers and some other elements of even like if you look at the Mac Pro, is is very much a, a small part of Apple's business. So that kind of focus on this is what we're going to do, and here's what we're going to do, and boom, how to instantiate it is is appears to be kind of like the the big thing that Cook could see. It's like I can come here and, and I know what I can add because this guy has the vision. I can fix all these problems that Apple has with shipping things around and you know putting things having too many performers and not enough power books and having all this inventory stuffed in this warehouse just depreciating and all these kind of structural operational problems that Apple was suffering. Jobs didn't solve those things directly. He hired somebody who knew how to do it. Same way that Jobs didn't know how to do retail. He brought in a retail executive. And isn't it funny how that retail executive, Ron Johnson, went off to JCPenney and they're not doing very well. That's a huge challenge. So it's, it would take a while to turn things around. It took a long time to turn Apple around, realistically, too. So it'll be interesting to see what, how that works out. But you can look at another of other, a lot of other examples of people who are very talented who left Apple. Um, I'm dropping names from my brain right now. John but, Rubenstein. Know, Rubenstein went to Palm. Which was um, bought by HP, and, of course, HP screwed that one up. Yeah, but, I mean, they had other problems. It, it's not just brilliant people. You also have to have a system of support around it. You have to have enough demand because it's really difficult to build something just on, unto itself. You have to have an integrated team. Yeah, you have to have a lot of things. And so there were a lot of, actually, a lot of uh, iPhone people that went with him to Palm, and they made a pretty good product, but it was hard to finish. It was hard to get enough attention. It was hard to capitalize the rollout of this new product. And... 
when they did find somebody with capital, everybody was like, oh, HP is going to come in and just make this mainstream. They're going to put it on all the computers and do all the stuff. And, you know, my opinion at the time was I don't think HP is going to do any of those things. I think it's just going to, like, roll over and <laughs> kill it probably. And that, that's ended up what happened. I mean, large companies that make acquisitions like that often do that to them. They do dumb things. It's like HP merged with Compaq. And other than a different brand name, what was the difference? Well, Compaq was the cheaper computer. HP was a more expensive computer. But there was no brand identity that was distinctive from one to the other. In the case of WebOS, they did have something new. They had some good ideas, but they didn't have a clue how to deal with it. Well, Compaq did have a, a services business. Compaq was trying to be IBM. They were trying to have this big computer services and servers business. And I think that's what HP wanted to put all their stuff together because Compaq had their big servers and HP had their big servers. They were trying to like consolidate and make it one stronger thing with less competition, I would imagine. But that was kind of a draw. It didn't, it didn't really result in any huge thing. And if you listen to Apple... People are always asking, you have billions of dollars, who are you going to buy? Are you going to buy Sony? Or you're... Apple's not going to buy another huge company. They keep saying over and over and over again, Apple buys small companies. They have this like little boilerplate thing they read off. Apple buys smaller companies from time to time. We don't comment on what they, why we did. That You hear that over and over and again. And sometimes when you know the company, it's process. obvious. When they bought PC Semi, that was to get processor technology. When they bought Siri, well, what do you think they bought them for? Yeah, in some cases, it's kind of obvious what they're buying things for. They bought a bunch of mapping companies, and it, it appears very clear at this point that Apple's going to have its own mapping system. There's other acquisitions that Apple's made that you can either see what they've created, or in some cases, they bought things that didn't really work out. They tried to do something. Samsung just recently bought a software company related to GarageBand. So, I mean, yeah, Apple, Apple has all this money. And it's interesting to hear Cook talk about that, too. It's like Apple has all this money, and they're actually spending a lot of money on you know building out stores because that's just like planting money trees. You, you build Apple stores in different locations and um, every one of them is just raking in dollars and turning that area into a Apple-supported... It, it really changes things to have an Apple store near you because it's kind of a level of support that doesn't really exist anywhere else for any other kind of consumer I'll products. tell you what, in terms of raking in the profits, we have to do that for our benefactors. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. Whether 
whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. You may snicker when you hear this message, but you won't laugh after you experience the best-kept health secret ever, camel milk. Camel milk is loaded with health benefits far superior to other milk. Camel milk has antibacterial, antiviral, and anti-tumor properties, is rich in B vitamins, and camel milk is three times higher in vitamin C than cow's milk and ten times higher in iron. And camel milk contains 52 units of insulin-like proteins per liter, effectively lowering blood sugar levels. Many of our members testified that drinking camel milk reversed diabetes and greatly improved autism. Camel milk is easily digested by those who are lactose and beta casein intolerant and comes fresh or frozen from your trusted local family farm shipped on dry ice to preserve freshness. Go to CamelMilkForSale.com now and look under Products and Pricing for the spring special with free bonus pints. That's CamelMilkForSale.com, CamelMilkForSale.com. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com. Spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. Attention, information in this one-minute message could save your life. Don't wait for the next emergency to happen. Act now to be prepared. Now, more than ever, civilians and communities must communicate with family, friends, and neighbors in the event of civil unrest, natural disasters, or other emergencies. That's why there's CivilDispatch.com. CivilDispatch.com is a universal system that can be used for a wide array of urgent notification alerts. Weather emergencies, civil unrest, emergency responders, amber alerts, school or business closings, any need-to-know situation. CivilDispatch.com is an emergency dispatch communication system, allowing anyone to quickly and easily Send and instantaneously track emergency email and text alert notifications. CivilDispatch.com gives you the power of enterprise alerting without the enterprise cost. Don't find yourself unprepared. Learn more and become a member at CivilDispatch.com. That's CivilDispatch.com. Civilian Emergency Dispatch System. Peace through preparedness. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com, and we started focusing on what Tim Cook said at the D10 conference last week, 
And Daniel Aaron Dilger was busy transcribing as much as he could. But your wrist survived the trip and the expedition to typing all that stuff. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I was kind of lost there for a minute. <laughs> <It's> like, um... <laughs> well, doing that for two hours straight, that's got to yeah, be a little bit painful. My fingers were, were just like dancing on the keyboard. Not usually that quick. And um, when you left, your fingers were still moving. You couldn't stop them. <laughs> okay. Now, going away from that, obviously we see the speaking style being different with Tim Cook. But the other thing you wonder here is, in terms of Apple's corporate posture, other than a few surface things and handling things like the Foxconn issue, their overseas contract factories, handling donations, corporate donations, individual donations, things like that, and also the dividends to stockholders, do we see much change anywhere else? I don't know if any of those things are actually examples of change. I mean, people pick out everything that comes after Jobs passed away as being like this dramatic change. And, and specifically, uh, the matching donations program Cook talked about, where he said instead of Apple giving, trying to identify companies that or, or organizations, charitable groups that they could give money to, because giving money to charitable groups is actually a big responsibility. You have to find out who's worthy, who's the most worthy. And that's like a, a mixture of research and also you know personal decision. What do I think is important? And that's is difficult to do. If you look at people with a huge amount of money that have committed to giving a lot of it away, like um, Bill Gates or um, Warren Buffett, it's, it's, a, it's a big job. You have a lot of people involved in giving that money away. And you almost you have to start a separate company just to give away the money. Yeah, and you have to have you know, competent people doing it. It's not just like, here's a bunch of money. I'm just going to send checks to various you know, charities. Well, that sounds like a good idea, but it's a lot, you waste a lot of money doing that. So I mean, one of the comments that Cook made was that by setting up employee matching, what Apple's doing is kind of delegating the task of finding worthy things to contribute to by saying to its employees, if, if you can identify something that you think is important, we will match your contribution to that group. And so We will accept your judgment. Yeah. So instead of Apple spending a lot of time with its executives or, you know, bring on other people to figure out, bring, bring on this like, special class to figure out who this money should go to, they're giving it to their employees to give to whoever they give to. And so they're giving away billions of dollars very effectively. And that, that program, he pointed out, it's not like after Jobs left, they were like, oh, whew, we can finally start giving money away to charities. Jobs was involved in that decision making, he said. So, I mean, that wasn't really something new. You have to think also Jobs was working at Apple almost until the day he died. Yeah. So, therefore, he was around when they introduced the iPhone 4S. It wasn't something where he was somehow double-crossed. It was something that he knew of and approved. Everything Apple did. The new iPad is something that was greenlit while he was still there. Siri, there's an argument now that Apple would never have had Siri because it's a beta when Steve Jobs was around. Wait a minute, Apple bought the company in 2010. He knew what was going on. He knew before he died of everything Apple was going to do, or most everything, for the next three or four years. Yeah, there's a lot of mythology around Jobs and what he did and didn't do. And one of the things I find the most ridiculous is when people who don't like Apple, or you know, they're like, don't like Jobs or whatever, kind of not knowing anything about him, just like villainizing him because they don't like Apple stuff, or I don't understand why, but they come up with this thing that, oh, Jobs never gave money to anything. And it's like, if you had a basic understanding 
if you've ever done your own taxes, you know that if you if you have a lot of money, you can't not give money away. If you have a lot of if you're making a lot of money or worth a lot of money, you have to give. And if you don't, you're just losing money. You're just giving to the state. The way that our tax system is set up, if you have a lot of money and you're not giving it away, you're giving it to the government to give it away. There's just no no possible scenario where there are people who are not giving money away. Now, some people are giving money away to, like, hate think tanks that, you know, do awful things. But everybody with money is giving their money away. Think of the interviews with Jobs' widow, where she said and made it very clear that he was giving away a lot of money to education. Yeah. But it was under the radar. It's not something that they boasted. They just did it. They didn't have to stage a PR event or some kind of photo op. They just did what they wanted to do, what they felt they would like to do. I was at a, a, was a shareholder meeting, I think, and I was talking to both, both Jobs and Cook on stage, and uh, I was asking them about supplier accountability and you know what Apple was doing in China. Why weren't, why weren't they making a bigger deal about this? Why, you know, they advertise environmental sustainability. That, at that point, they were doing the green ads for the PowerBooks or the MacBooks. <laughs> and I was saying, why don't you advertise this more? And among, among kind of other related issues of kind of toxins and you know, various things that Apple had been criticized about by companies they didn't really know, or groups like Greenpeace that didn't really know what they're talking about. And um, the response that I got was kind of like, we're doing what we think is right. We're, we're, we know what needs to get done, and we're, we're doing it. We don't have to toot our own horn you know, for other people to see, hey, we're doing the right thing. They don't have and, to have a PR release for everything they do. That's the yeah, point. It's, it's kind of interesting because if, if you live in the real world, because Apple isn't very real, you know, most companies don't. Apple is kind of like this protected little enclave of, of a lot of smart people and ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, just fantastic amounts of money that they can do whatever they want to do. And instead of using that to just be awful, um, the people that are there have kind of the luxury of being able to do great things. They can make great products. They can change the world in terms of making sure the people who make these products are not the kind of slave labor that has always existed. I mean, Apple has been kind of uh, popular to villainize Apple for, uh, you know, Chinese labor and things that are happening and people that are having problems being in these factories and whatever. And I was like, is this a new issue? I mean, we've, there's, throughout all of history, there's always been a time where people in this country have farmed out their you know, less attractive jobs to people in this country who are on a different scale of development and in a different place financially and whatever. And that's always been the case. It's not like Apple invented that. What's different is that Apple has gone into these factories and said, hey, you can't do the things that you're doing if you want our business. You can't hire children. You can't hire um, people and just work them until they're dead. You have to have, meet some minimum standards. And in some cases, the, the, what is legal isn't enough because the laws in China and a lot of these other countries allow you to do things that aren't kosher. It's not as if they have a union 
for Foxconn employees where they can set the minimum standards. But the one thing is here is Apple has now become the conscience of that industry because we have Tim Cook going to China with a photo op at Foxconn saying, we're watching these people, we'll make sure they do the right thing. And you notice that Foxconn, like every year or two, they're doubling the salaries of their workers. Now, there's a point where you're going to have a situation where it may be cheaper to build that thing here or as inexpensive to build it here because of the shipping costs and all the ancillary costs and sending things down to Asia. And Tim Cook was asked during the segment, well, why don't you build some things in the U.S.? Why do you build things in China? And he explained things like plants that do the fabrication of components. We don't have that technology here anymore. We can't build a Foxconn in the United States forgetting the salary. Yeah, the large scale assembly and particularly the, the rapid turnaround of being able to retool a, a manufacturing line. One of the things he did point out, though, is that a lot of the valuable components are built in the United States. Right now, the, the processes are being built in Texas. And I think it's a Samsung plant. And then, and then think about uh, the Intel chips in your new Mac. Where do you think they're built? Well, Intel has lots of plants in the United States. Some are built here in Chandler, Arizona. Just south of me, we have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com on the Tech Night Owl Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light Systems system today complete with two black berkey elements for only 231 dollars and the berkey guy will ship your order free of charge with the purchase of a berkey light the berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only 39.99 that's over 30 percent off the retail price call the berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today 
Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. Love gardening but don't love seeing your hard work destroyed by wildlife? Then use the number one most effective deer and rabbit repellent you can buy, PlantSkid. PlantSkid repellent protects gardens, trees, and landscaping by emitting an odor that browsing animals associate with predators. So animals avoid plants before they nibble, not after. PlantSkid is made in the U.S. from non-toxic, 100% organic, environment, and pet-friendly ingredients. Other repellents wash off in the rain. Not PlantSkid. It's guaranteed to outlast all other repellents. PlantSkid was the first animal repellent to be OMRI listed organic and now comes in liquid spray, powder concentrate, or easy-to-use granular. Just sprinkle around your garden. For proven protection from deer, rabbits, squirrels, and other small rodents, use PlantSkid. Member tested and recommended by the National Home Gardening Club. Find a dealer near you at PlantSkid.com. That's PlantSkydd.com. Ask about our new vole repellent when you call 800-252-6051. That's 800-252-6051. PlantSkid, proven plant protection, guaranteed or your money back. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. And we have Daniel Arundelger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. We were talking about Tim Cook's appearance at All Things Digital D10 last week and about the implications about Apple, about Apple's corporate posture, the changes. But the one thing he did say, and this goes against another conventional wisdom, which is that maybe Apple would be more forthcoming about their products under Cook. No, they're going to double down on security. So we know nothing about what Apple's going to do next week at the WWDC, whereas we know everything about what some of those other companies are doing. And let's focus on that in a moment. We'd love to talk about platforms with Daniel. And we have Windows Phone. And there's a story that came out recently that smartphones equipped with Windows Phone 7.5, the latest version like the Lumia 900 from Nokia, it's not going to be upgradable to Windows Phone 8. So what is Steve Ballmer thinking Apparently, he's just being flattered enough by IDC to think that Windows Phone is going to achieve... Did you see that report? IDC just came out saying that Windows Phone in, in uh, 2016, which, what is that, four years out? Four years out. Is going to eclipse iOS. I'll tell you what, I got this quote here, okay? Now, one of our favorite whipping boys is Joe Wilcox, because he likes to say outlandish things. He says wacky stuff that you don't take seriously, but I have to tell you, he's a really nice guy. Forget about the crazy things he says. You talk to Joe, and I've had him on the show. He's a really nice guy, easygoing guy. I think he does it just for the effect. Okay, 
He has a headline this week. If Windows Phone is number two by 2016, I'll clean Steve Ballmer's toilet. Now, <laughs> last year he wrote, if Windows Phone is number two by 2015, I'll kiss Steve Ballmer's feet. So I hate to say what he says for 2017 if IDC makes another prediction. But where do they come up with stuff like that? I think they're working on it. If you look at IDC's past, they're, along with um, Gartner and everybody else that's in the same group, they know a world where Microsoft was making the software that, that all these commodity PC makers were producing. And so they predicted great things for Windows Mobile because they thought the same thing was going to happen again. And they were wrong about that. And when Android came out, they were ecstatic. It was like, oh, maybe, maybe the next Microsoft is actually maybe Google's thing. And they were predicting that they didn't start predicting that Android would take over until Android started gaining considerable traction. That was actually kind of a surprise. They didn't see that coming. They kept talking about how Windows Phone was going to come out, Windows Phone, Windows Phone, Windows Phone. And occasionally Symbian is going to like maintain its 60% market share. And everything they said was wrong. Symbian, the world changed rapidly. And it's kind of like listening to people who grew up in the Cold War talking about what was going to happen with Eastern Europe. And all of a sudden the walls fall down and all these communist, former communist countries liberalize. And they don't know, it doesn't make any sense to them. It's like they can't adapt to change because they're used to, to living in the four, you know, 60s or whatever. And it's the same thing here is all these tech people, you can tell there's like a generation of tech analysts who are stuck in the 90s. And they think if a big company announces something, they're going to do it. And if Microsoft says it's going to take over something, it's going to do it. And even if they don't announce something, just they're inevitably going to take over market share because they always did in the past. It is their fate. Microsoft must be number one. It's almost like the Highlander films. There can be only one, and it must be Microsoft to add a little bit. But, of course, they also killed off the Zoom brain name this week. Yeah, so if you look at what Microsoft is doing, Windows 8, I mean, what is it? It's going to like issue in another bunch of tablet format devices. It's incoherent. Have you used the release candidate they just came out with a few days ago? Not the latest one. Oh, though. okay. The thing is incoherent. Now, I was reading an article, I think it was an 18 or 20-page article from one of the tech sites describing the new features of Windows 8. And I said, okay, it does all these things, which is fine, but intuitive it is not. You know, it is a schizophrenic operating system that has this metro interface and a sort of traditional Windows interface that will be without the arrow look. We have schizophrenia right there. And moving between these two different systems and these different themes and approaches to how apps are handled is also going to be confusing. And if I take it properly here under Metro, you can only put two document windows side by side. That's it? Yeah, there's a lot of weird things about it. That is crazy, man. What about people who do serious work and you've got two or three monitors on your desktop and you're doing graphic arts and Adobe InDesign or Quark Express or content creation and you've got a set of windows here and a set here and you're doing all this elaborate stuff, only two document windows? What? One of the things that Cook pointed out when he was talking and he was kind of getting grilled on this 
do you believe in convergence or not? And he kind of brought up his comment about, you know, putting a toaster in a refrigerator doesn't make sense. It's not that convergence is always bad. It's that some things don't make sense to converge. And when you have two kinds of products, one being, you know, the highly mobile tablet that you want to be super simple and just work and not have to maintain, not have to be this complex system. If you, if you make it simple on the level that Apple achieved with the iPad to where you can give this to somebody who's never used a computer before, you know, children and older people can just start playing with it. And they're like, you know, kind of cautious. I don't know. I don't want to, oh, oh, this just makes sense. I can do this. I can do that. You just figure it out. It just works. And it doesn't have the complication. So it, there's things that the, there's a lot of things that the iPad can't do. But that is a good thing if you are trying to, you know, have the qualities of the iPad. The simplicity, the ease of use, the, um, the approachability, the lack of management required. You don't have to go in and deal with folders of extensions and whatever else to do things. On the other hand, there's still a, a role for computers, and despite Apple now making you know far more iOS devices than Macs, uh, Apple still has a huge Mac business that keeps growing pretty dramatically. I mean, like I always like to say, it wasn't that many years ago when Apple was making selling you know three quarters of a million Macs per quarter, and now they're selling five. So that's a huge growth. If if Apple didn't have any other business, it would have been pretty impressive to grow your business by you know five or six times within a few years, but. Obviously, a big part of that is coming from the fact that Apple started selling iPods and iPhones, and that attracted people to the Apple ecosystem, and people were like, oh, I'll buy your computer, too. And, oh, this is nice, and they tell their friends, you know, this, this computer is a lot easier to use. And so Apple has two products, two product categories, and they don't even call it the same OS, even though it really is the same OS. It's two versions. I mean, it's, it's two editions of the same code base, basically. Same tool. Everything about it is the same. That's not the case with Microsoft. It's not the case with Google. Google has two different operating systems. Microsoft has originally had Windows CE was a completely different operating system from the ground to the top. And with Windows Mobile, it was all about Silverlight and kind of like Microsoft's Flash. And now they're, they're trying to transition it to kind of bring it all in line so it's all kind of the same thing. Well, that's kind of a problem because it is the same. Uh, there's a lot more similarity with you know the Metro look, interface, and parts of it. But the problem is in, in the same development tools and things. But the problem is there's not a clear differentiation between highly mobile devices that you want to do simple tasks and a full computing system where you have lots of windows and a complicated user interface allows you to do more, allows you to run kind of higher apps and work in a more kind of complex and sophisticated way, which some people need. So if you look at people who, who have a history of, you know, working on computers, like, Myself, I mean, I have an iPad and I have a MacBook, and most of my work I do on the MacBook because I'm used to that environment. It's not new to me. It's not difficult for me to figure out. But for a lot of people that have never had to deal with a computer, using an iPad is so much simpler and so much more approachable, and it does everything they want to do. And over time, I mean, if you look in the past, it's kind of like the difference of having a, a stick shift and a automatic transmission. They both have uses. But if you try to put them you know, together, make it hybrid, it's not necessarily going to be the best parts of both. Well, they do have transmissions now that are kind of like automatic and manual, but some yeah, work and some that. don't. depends on the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it has to be pretty sophisticated to work. It can't just be like, you know, 
this kind of weird mix like you're describing Windows 8. Windows 8, it drives me crazy. I spent a few minutes with it, and I can't stay with it. I can't stay with it because every time I try to do something, I'm thrown into this schizophrenic interface, and things are not obvious. Yeah, the functions may all be there, but why do I have to be retrained to figure them out? I mean, I handed my wife an iPad, and she figured it out. She had no instructions. Nobody told her except maybe every few days she says, how do I do this function? And I'll show her something, and then she'll go off and figure out 10 other things that I didn't know she knew. It's very intuitive. And that's something that Microsoft doesn't get. We always get Daniel Arundelger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're joined with Daniel Arundelger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. We started talking about Tim Cook's appearance at the All Things Digital Conference last week, and then about the prospects or lack thereof for Windows 8 and Microsoft's Windows Phone platform. Now, what's interesting here is the critics seem to kind of like Windows Phone, but regular people don't seem to be picking it up. Is it because everyone here is Android and iPhone? Well, it's a little bit underdog, a little bit Microsoft. You know, if you love Microsoft, um, whatever th- everything they do is notable. There's some people that like things that are just different. And so there's people that are advocating. It's like, if you listen to the ads, too, it's, it's always like they portray somebody with a phone and, and this... It's, like, it's kind of a weird ad. It's like this ugly girl comes up and like, I have the same phone, and he has to talk to her or something. And I, I don't really understand that. But <laughs> There's another one where it says, all the phones have been beta. Are you tired of using beta phones? Now here's Windows Phone, which is not beta, except that lots of things in the operating system are two years behind everyone else. And are in beta, really. Exactly. And what I think is hilarious is that those ads are a combination of Microsoft and Nokia talking about how everything in the past has been garbage and who is ruling the roost. <laughs> you know, here we have the biggest software maker and the biggest mobile phone device maker of the last decade who have just been completely trounced. And they're, they're advertising how stuff in the past was such crap and here we've come up with a, something that actually works. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, I mean, somebody had to write the ad, but it's just, I think it's hilarious that... Every ad for a Microsoft-related product is awful. I mean, there's these ads now for Windows Explorer. Internet Explorer. 
those are those are weird. I understand it. Now the internet will be beautiful. Well, if you have a standards compliant browser and you have ten standards compliant browsers side by side, in theory, all websites will look the same on every one of them. So, what are we talking about here? Yeah, it's kind of strange. It's kind of like because you know, if you buy Windows, you get Internet Explorer on your computer, but nobody there. wants to use it. People are dropping it in droves. But yeah, it's like a conscious decision to go out and get Chrome or get Firefox or something, and <laughs> to, to advertise, you know, hey, this is on your computer, use it. <laughs> it's kind of a funny ad, I think. And it's not even the way it's presented. There's a lot of ads, and I, I think Google ads too are like that, where they kind of appeal to the people who made the product more than the end user. It's not like, look, I'm doing something cool with this product. It's here I'm doing something really technical and you don't even realize what I'm doing. Well, the one we have for the Windows 7 ad campaign was a father and son working on their computers. And the father makes this dull spreadsheet. So what does the son do? He takes over the computer and he turns it into a 3D chart with 1990s graphics, you know, very bitmapped and everything, and says, look what I can do with Windows 7. Yeah, I could go back 15 years in the past and do what they could have done then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Microsoft. But they have a, they have a pretty good server business. <laughs> they're, they're not going to go away immediately. Except the market share of Apache has increased vis-a-vis the Windows Server product. So they're not making progress that I can see. But here's the big question here. Let's assume Windows 8 doesn't go too far. It's like Windows Phone now. People like it. Some people like it. Maybe consumers will buy the upgrade, but businesses say, no, we'll stick with Windows XP, the unkindest cut of all. Okay, we have all this. What is Microsoft going to do for Plan B? Windows 9? Well, I don't think Windows is going to go away. I don't think... There are some places that are just going to adopt Windows 8 as because it's basically Windows 7 with this Metro layer. And, you know, corporations are going to, like, eventually roll it out and just, like, not have the Metro on that. So it's going to be Windows 7 Plus. But um, the problem for Microsoft isn't that Windows isn't exciting enough. It's that it's sitting on top of a a market that is now mature. There is not a huge explosion of what you know, conventional PCs that are it's going to continue. People are buying fewer PCs, and the market for PCs is being dramatically altered by mobile devices. Which is why Microsoft is trying to spread into the mobile space by saying, look, you don't have to live with a different operating system. Whatever you have with Windows, it's the same thing. Wait a minute, it doesn't run Windows apps on the ARM processor. Oh, well. Well, they were already in the mobile space. I mean, they were in the mobile space before most people. Right, but of course, they got there first. Isn't it strange? They were there years before Apple, unless you include the the eMate, the Newton interface on a tiny tablet-like computer from the 1990s that went nowhere. Well, I mean, Apple kind of helped pioneer mobile devices with the Newton in the early, early 90s, and Microsoft started kind of cloning that idea with clamshell PCs. It was like a little little PC. And then that sort of morphed into Windows Phone in the around 2000. At the same time that, you know, Palm was making its PDAs into phones and Nokia was starting to make smartphones. And so, so smartphones went on for five years and really Apple came out. And <laughs> the, the ads that we were talking about, the beta ads for the beta smartphone, you've been using a beta smartphone. That was really what Apple did in 2007 when they said, here's a phone you'll actually want to use. 
and it's like a great iPod, and it also does the internet. And everybody else was kind of dumbstruck, and some people didn't really believe it. Rim didn't believe they, that iPhone was a real product. Other companies scrambled to put some icing on theirs. Microsoft tried to make Windows Phone look a little bit different, but it was still garbage underneath. And now you see all these companies that are trying to re- redo their product to make it work more like an iPhone. So you have Samsung using Android. You have all the other companies using Android unsuccessfully, not able to make any money. You have Nokia trying to use Microsoft's platform. And you have LG with a finger in everybody's bucket trying to see what works. But you don't see a lot of innovation. So when Apple came out with the iPad, everybody in the media kind of yawned. I thought it was amazing. It was like, this is great. But everybody else was like, oh, it doesn't run the Mac desktop. But people in general liked it and are using it for a lot of things. So you have a lot of consumers using it. You have it, a lot of educators seeing this is a very valuable device that's you know cost-effective. And also in the enterprise, saying here's a clean slate tablet that we can either do web apps on or we can have custom apps that connect to our systems and we can have full control over it. I'll uh, give you an example of that. The leasing office for the housing complex in which I live – they're getting iPads to handle rental applications and leases and that sort of thing. It's going to happen real soon. So you see more and more businesses doing it. Governments are doing it. What about the other tablets? Well, they talked about the Amazon Kindle Fire. Big thing sold well during the holidays. After that, sales cratered. Yeah, these companies, you know, Gartner and IDC that like to flatter Microsoft, they kind of tried to denigrate the iPad as being a media tablet. Remember they were talking about was like there's the, the tablet market that Microsoft had, tablet PCs, which they kept saying were gonna, was going to grow dramatically, and it never did. And then the iPad comes up, and they're like, oh, well, let's not call this in the same bucket because it doesn't do the same thing. It doesn't have a desktop on it, so it's not a real tablet. We'll call it a media tablet, and we'll, we'll put it over in this bucket and say, oh, media ta- people will be watching movies on it or whatever. And so they put all the Android stuff in that, too. And then it became clear that that's what Microsoft was going to do because this tablet thing wasn't working. So now all tablets are media tablets. But the problem is the iPad isn't a media tablet. It's not for watching movies. It's not in the 16 by 9 ratio. It's a slate computer. It does whatever you want it to do. And it has a broad range of what it can do. And it's very easy to adapt and use. And it has a very strong ecosystem. And it has a strong security model and has a it's well thought out in a lot of areas where Android tablets are not. They have they can put fancy specs on them. They can put a 4G chip in it before Apple does. They can do a lot of, you know, they can put in more memory or whatever. But as a device, it doesn't work as well. The software is, is not there. It's all over the map. It has a different, runs a different version of stuff than, you know, the in Android installed base. It's just a mess. And with Windows 8, you know, Microsoft is trying to leverage its position in PCs to re-enter that space, but they've already tried that year after year after year. They tried it with Windows 7. They tried it with XP. They had a tablet XP. They've had a tablet version of every computer they've had since, you know, the 90s. I, I don't see how doing the same thing is going to achieve a different result. That's the sign of insanity, some people say. We have Daniel Arundel, we roughly drafted magazine, who's very sane. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins, 
a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a flaw free enterprise, or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states it's what every American needs to know about central bank power. A gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables, and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics. Life's getting better. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze-Dry Guy clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze-Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze-Dry Guy, the best you can buy. 
here. Get night out live. Well, you never know what's going to happen next. And now it's Uncle Gene. Yeah, it's him. Sounds like a warning or something. It's him. Yeah, we're hoping it's somebody else, but it's me with Daniel Aaron Dilworth, roughly drafted magazine. We were looking over Tim Cook's statements at all things digital, the prospects for Windows Phone, for Windows 8. And now it looks like this week everybody wants to have a larger iPhone. We're seeing all these mock-ups, a 4-inch iPhone with a different aspect ratio. Now, I'm not an expert on the iOS, but does the iOS allow these things to scale up to different screen sizes or what? I'm sorry, what did you say? (laughs) Does the iOS allow an app to scale to a different screen size if you have a different size screen on an iPhone. Of course, on the Mac OS, this is automatic. Different screen sizes, everything fills out proportionately. You're talking about the, the ratio of the, the new phone idea of it being taller. That's right. Okay. Sorry, I was a little slow there for a second. <laughs> the iOS hasn't had to do that today, but it's not hard to do. And if you look at, for example, when Apple added tethering and you know, background, there's a series of background things you could do. It would make a little red strip or a blue strip or whatever across the top of the phone. And the interface of the app would be pushed down. For some apps, they had to accommodate that because they're losing a little bit of screen real estate. So it's kind of the same thing. But now they have more real estate, so they have to accommodate that. Does the app have to be redone or is the iOS compensate? Or are they going to have to update developer tools for iOS 6 to allow for the possibility of multiple screen sizes? Well, yeah, anytime they've made changes, they've made changes that have, in general, there haven't, I, I don't remember any examples of changes in different versions of iOS that immediately required, you know, that killed apps. But developers are constantly redoing their apps and they're constantly targeting the newest version. And so they're able to take advantage of new things that come out. And so there have been a lot of changes that required developers to put out new versions. But Apple's version control in iTunes is so easy and automatic that that hasn't really been a problem. It was kind of a problem previously, you know, on desktop computers, where if, you know, the version of your operating system and the version of your app, and if if they come up with a different version, you don't really like that version, you have to, you're trying to use the old version on it. And you have all these complications, like, you know, with, the, with Mac OS, you have, old PowerPC code that you needed Rosetta to run, and on the newest systems, you can't run Rosetta, so you have to get a new version of your app. Apple's been trying to solve that issue of how to, how you get updates and how do you automatically update things so you have the latest security patches, and you know it works with the latest features in the operating system, and developers can roll out these updates really easily. And it's just starting to get there on with the Mac App Store. Now, does that mean, therefore, that... If right. Apple goes to a 16:9 aspect ratio with a 4-inch iPhone, it's not going to be a problem for existing iOS apps. It's not a tremendous problem to solve. It's it's even when the iPad came out, remember you could run iOS or you could run iPhone apps on it in this either in the middle of the screen small or you could bump it up twice as big. The key being if, if the pixel count is the same on the larger screen, will the apps just scale proportionately? No, you don't really want to do that, I don't think. I mean, there's, there's some cases where you can scale, like, user interface stuff. Apple could make the, you know, the top bar that the operating system paints, you know, that shows your signal strength and whatever, the time. 
Apple could use that space for its own thing. I mean, some of Android um, licensees will make it bigger than normal screen and use part of it to have like is basically video buttons or you know some some other sort of thing on the screen that they're using in a certain way. So yeah, there's a lot of ways you can do it. But if you look at Apple's historically, what Apple has done is whenever they change the rules, they just like make it so all the apps can change to fit that the new system. And there isn't as much effort to take to salvage old apps. Um, instead of the operating system bending backward to say, how can we make these old apps work on the new system and stretch them out and you know try to force them to fit? They'll provide the tools for iOS 6 apps to be able yeah. to do it. So you recompile your app in iOS 6, and it will accommodate the different screen sizes. It's really not a, a very complicated problem to solve. I don't think it but would some, be. It's just a question yeah. that people raise. Okay, do you think that's what Apple's going to do? That they'll make it four inches? Does that make sense? It makes some sense. I mean, it's a way to make the screen size a little bigger without making the size of the phone bigger. But then I mean, we'll have to see. It's like next week, I guess. They're likely to out that. The biggest thing is, I think, LTE. Although, I have an LTE iPad. I have a Verizon LTE iPad. And I've been really disappointed by... Uh, I was just noticing driving down... When I went to the All Things Digital conference, I drove across California and I would get LTE in the middle of nowhere but it just wouldn't work you know I'd get no data service it's like yeah I have LTE service but just the data wouldn't work so I'd turn it off and 3G would work and even when I was in LA it's terrible I have a Verizon phone too it's it, it's it's 3G only of course iPhone but um, I'm constantly getting it, it keeps booting me to the 1X service getting Verizon O so I don't know what's up with Verizon I think they they're kind of like optimizing for 4G, and they're just not there yet. It's a work in progress. It's a beta, but not on Apple's part. What about yeah. support for the new Wi-Fi standard? I haven't seen anyone mention this. We have 802.11ac. We're seeing hardware from other companies for the preliminary, almost final standard. We're talking about Wi-Fi that's kind of sort of on a par with gigabit Ethernet to some degree. We would think that Apple would incorporate that in the next generation of Mac hardware, right? Likely. Uh, Apple has kind of been on the forefront of putting out, kind of putting into the mainstream newer technologies. However, Apple is very rarely the first mover. So, you know, Wi-Fi existed before Apple started using it, but no one had heard of it. When Apple first demonstrated Wi-Fi on the, on the um, iBook, it wasn't broadly known to exist. It, some people were using it, but consumers weren't using it, certainly. And the same thing with, you know, when G came out, when N came out, it was something that most people didn't even have on their radar. I mean, I predicted N. <laughs> but with, with the new one, this new name for it, is a lot of it is really an extension of the same principles that make wireless N faster and um, capable of sending more data at once. It's like multiple antennas and using um, different signaling systems and it's all extremely Sometimes it's multiple now. channels like for your cable modem they have channel bonding to speed performance so they use all sorts of tricks. So maybe we'll see that maybe USB yeah. 3.0 Fast last question you think they'll ditch the optical drives on the MacBook Pro? It sounds reasonable I haven't used an optical drive in so long 
well, what do you use an optical drive for? And if you look at what the most popular laptops Apple sells are MacBook Airs. So there you go. Daniel Aaron Dilger, please tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff. I curate roughly drafted. I haven't written, written anything in a while. I was trying to get out some um, WWDC predictions just to have some fun with that. Um, I also write for Apple Insider. And, you know, I did the coverage of the All Things Digital Conference. So you saw the output of his wrists, ladies and gentlemen. Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. Waiting for the side effects disclaimers? With MDS Forte, there are none. Order a 25-day treatment of MDS Forte by calling 213-405-5355, 213-405-5355, or visit bestbloodsupport.com. That's bestbloodsupport.com for MDS Forte, a diabetes breakthrough. Would it save you time to get the best quality water filters and the best quality storable foods from one company? You bet it would, and now you can at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Big Berkey water filter products and great-tasting, long-lasting, storable, wise foods are both now available on one website, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Wise foods, ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches and come with a 25-year shelf life. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. Combine Berkey water filters with Wise Foods for an unbeatable preparedness combination. Get free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit Big B-E-R-K-E-Y waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-B-E-R-K-E-Y. Or go to BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. 
Now at DeseretFoodStore.com, sign up for a one-month supply of delicious food for only $99 with free shipping. That's right, only $99. Gourmet restaurant-style meals with a 30-year shelf life. Packaged in heavy-duty Mylar bags for easy transport and freshness. Meals like stroganoff, lasagna, teriyaki, five-bean chili, granola pancakes, and much more. Visit DeseretFoodStore.com, spelled D-E-S-E-R-E-T, FoodStore.com, or call 801-444-1444. Food for now, food for life. 37 things to hoard. Do you have the 37 crucial food items you can't survive without? When disaster hits and mobs go crazy grabbing food off the shelves, your family may be without food or waiting in long food lines. Prepare now at 123survivalplan.com. That's 123survivalplan.com. Many people don't have these 37 food items. Learn what you need to hoard now at 123survivalplan.com. Watch the video over 1 million people of you to discover the 37 food items that will sell out first when disaster strikes at 123survivalplan.com. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. And we have Ted Landau, of course, who was famous as the creator of Mac Fix It, writes regular columns for Mac World and also for the Mac Observer. And we're going to look at some of the things that are coming from Apple, but Ted has some really important comments to make about Apple's sandboxing, about a certain key feature that's missing from the mobile version of Apple Mail. What do you think it is? We'll mention that in a moment. Looking at the iPhone 5, there is growing speculation now that Apple will make it a little taller to accommodate a 4-inch screen or the latest estimate, a 4.08-inch screen, keep the same pixel density, but of course a different aspect ratio. So is that going to create a problem for all the apps if the aspect ratio is different than it is now? Hi. First of all, it's good to be back here. And first, let me also say that talking about the iPhone 5 on this particular day is a little bit odd because it's probably the only product that Apple makes that isn't being rumored to be updated next week for the WWDC. Which is a good reason to talk about it. Let's talk about what is left unsaid. That's right. So that is probably coming a few months from now. Though they might talk about it a little bit when they talk about iOS 6, which is to be announced. Some things will be implicit. Right. In any case, yeah, the, the screen size, I don't think, it, I mean, I've read a lot of articles. It was a very good article. I forget who wrote it. You may be able to recall that went into all the different ways that Apple could increase the screen size uh, in terms of whether it would do just one dimension or both dimensions or increase the pixel count or just make the pixels bigger and all, and, and the pros and cons of each of the ways of doing it. And I think the one that got the most attraction, which, which sounded good to me, was where it would get a true 16 by 9 resolution measurements so that so that you'd be able to see movies without as many of those uh, bars on, on the side as you as you do now uh, would would not cause undue hardship for developers in order to, to accommodate because they already have to as, as I recall I said they already have to accommodate for some possibility of space in, in the up and down direction anyway for when the uh, app list uh, along the bottom comes up and so on uh, so yeah, I think they could easily do it, and I think they probably will. Another article that I read, and again, I'm blanking on who wrote any of these articles. You have to forgive me. I just came back from a trip, uh, as, as you know, a few days ago. I'm still getting my sea legs back here. Well, you know, there's uh, always Google. And if you don't right, like Google, yeah. bing it. 
That's, that's or right. Bongit, whatever we or, call or, it. Or whatever. And anyway, another one that said that, that the primary motivation behind increasing the screen size may not be exactly increasing the screen size itself, and implicit in that would be competition with all the Android phones that have now have larger screen size, but to accommodate a larger battery. And, make, and since the iPhone itself would be bigger to accommodate the larger battery, Apple figured they might as well make the screen larger as well. And the logic behind that is that Apple's iPhone is going to need a larger battery in order to support the increased battery load that the LTE network is going to entail. And that also seemed to have some reasonableness to me. So overall, yeah, I, I actually, if I was betting, I'd bet. I wouldn't bet a lot of money because I wouldn't want to lose it. But I, if I had a pick size, I'd bet on the next iPhone having a larger screen than it has now. Now, one of the things here that might be possible with the Mac OS, of course, it allows for different screen sizes and everything on the desktop scales appropriately. Mm-hmm. With the iOS, the question would be how the vertical scaling is handled. Some suggested there will be black bars at top and bottom until apps are recompiled, possibly with iOS 6 to allow for this. You'd also think that Apple, knowing they might have to have different variations of screen sizes, will incorporate that in their developer tools so developers don't have to mess with that stuff. Yeah, and I think whatever they're going to do in that regard, that's what we'll find out next week. Because that they have, they want Apple inevitably, at least uh, traditionally, has wants to give the developers a heads up. So when uh, when the iPhone is finally released, that's not the day to inform developers about the changes that they need to make to accommodate the new hardware. They want the new apps to be ready to go, and so they give the developers several months heads up. And now would be that several months point, and the WWDC would be the perfect place to do it. So we expect that the iPhone five or whatever is called. It'll come out possibly September or early October, pretty much like last year. That's what I'm guessing, yes. Of course, with Apple, you can't guess because they fool you. Well, you can guess, but then you can be wrong. Well, most of the time we are, but we'll have to see how they address the information or the possibilities of different screen sizes, or maybe they will be careful and coy and not say anything publicly, but just provide the tools for developers and they can figure it out later. There's also a story that maybe there will be real Facebook integration in the iOS. Yes, I read that too, uh, and I, I really have no feeling one way or the other about that. It certainly would be nice. Apple did, as, as I think we all know, try to get some Facebook integration going with the Mac when they came out with Ping. Uh, that failed apparently at the last minute, and Ping was released without the Facebook integration that was supposed to be there, and pretty much now looks like it means the end of ping from the comments that, that Tim Cook was saying at the, uh, at the um, All Things Digital conference. So it's like um, ping going pong. Yeah, that's right, or, or even worse. Um, so, it's like so the gong Apple, show. Remember the gong show where they would mm-hmm. hit the gong when the performer was too bad to allow on the screen? So now yeah. it's getting the gong. It's getting the gun. We, I expect to see ping-ponged, as they say, uh, in the near future. And I won't be sorry to see it go because I've, I've never used it myself. I uh, played with it for about three seconds. Now, the other question about Facebook, there's a story out this week suggesting that more and more people are becoming bored with Facebook. Now, yeah. I know that's not going to be very good. Of course, the public offering, the IPO, was mm. not that great a success. So let's hope they all got their money and they feel happy and if facebook fades over time okay then of course there's google plus but i gather google plus gets less demand people join google plus spend three minutes with it and they Mm. wonder why is this better than facebook yeah i I don't even i actually 
I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time with Google Plus, but I consider it to be more of a competitor to Twitter than to, to Facebook. In uh, fact, that's one of the things I'm not crazy about Facebook. Facebook. Whenever I go to Facebook, there's just too many different interfaces to Facebook. Uh, sometimes I just want to take a look at what one of my friend's uh, walls look like. And, and unless I've done it recently, I don't even remember exactly how to get there. I, I click on something and, I'm, and it says, do I want to send them a message? No, I don't want to send them a message. Or do I want to search for friends? No, I'm not trying to search for friends. I want, or or I, how do I even get a list of the friends that I currently have so, so that I can just pick that particular one? It's not always so easy. I, I, I find Facebook to be a little more than I need. And I spend, as you probably know, most of my time on Twitter when I want to do uh, social media interaction, which is more to my minimalist style. But still, I don't think, I don't see Facebook, regardless of what the reports are saying now, I don't see Facebook going away, nor do I see anything else supplanting it in the near future. Maybe a few years from now, something will emerge, but I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to take over Facebook right now. The question also is whether advertisers on Facebook feel they're getting bang for the buck. But then there's Twitter. What is Twitter going to do to monetize it? How long can they exist with just venture capital? Uh, apparently forever. <laughs> oh, I so wish I could do that. Yeah, yeah. It seems, it seems that they have developed a great model of, of how to survive with uh, no income whatsoever. Oh, I have to figure that out. Okay, let's talk about something that you covered in your user-friendly view column most recently over at the Mac Observer at MacObserver.com. And I'll ask a question, which is a very obvious question. And that is on mail for the Mac OS. You're writing a mail and you say, you know what, I'm going to send this person a picture or I'm writing to an advertiser. This happens to me and they want a rate card. So I will now attach the rate card to my email. But now I'm writing that letter on my iPad, on my iPhone. And now I want to attach the rate card in mail. Wait a minute. There is no attach button. There is no attach function. You've got to do some really clumsy workarounds. Uh, that's exactly right. There is no there is no feature in mail itself to add an attachment. Now, uh, admittedly, this is not exactly front page news for people who have played with mail for a while on the iPad because it's been that way since since the beginning. But I I for, I'm not a person that actually has used mail, especially on the iPad, uh, to any great extent. I'll check my mail occasionally on it if if I don't have my Mac nearby. But most of the, my mail interaction is either on my Mac or it's just on my iPhone, just checking to see mail messages that I might and have missed. And we'll get into more mail. of this problem. And the problem being just like happened early this morning where I got an email from a prospective client and they said, send me your media kit. And I was right. using my iPhone. What did I do? I'll answer that question. We have Ted Landau. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. <laughs> has President Obama signed. You've got to look at that compared to... Hold that. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. 
the site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry. Attention, information in this one-minute message could save your life. Don't wait for the next emergency to happen. Act now to be prepared. Now, more than ever, civilians and communities must communicate with family, friends, and neighbors in the event of civil unrest, natural disasters, or other emergencies. That's why there's CivilDispatch.com. CivilDispatch.com is a universal system that can be used for a wide array of urgent notification alerts. Weather emergencies, civil unrest, emergency responders, amber alerts, school or business closings, any need-to-know situation. CivilDispatch.com is an emergency dispatch communication system, allowing anyone to quickly and easily send and instantaneously track emergency email and text alert notifications. CivilDispatch.com gives you the power of enterprise alerting without the enterprise cost. Don't find yourself unprepared. Learn more and become a member at CivilDispatch.com. That's CivilDispatch.com. Civilian Emergency Dispatch System. Peace through preparedness. For a long time, you've heard me talk about building your own food supply with Eat Foods Direct. As a listener, you know why you need to have a supply of the best storable food on the planet. Every day, we document the attempts to take control of our lives. But there's one thing we can all control. Your greatest dependency, food. Eat Foods Direct products are made with only the best ingredients and none of the trash and contaminants like trans fats, GMOs, or MSG. This food is nutrient-dense and tastes great. It's simple to make, portable, and has a shelf life of up to 25 years. Now with Eat Foods Direct, you'll get the most affordable, best-tasting food you can buy. And the new products and pricing will blow you away. Compared to other food sources, including home-cooked meals, you can cut your food cost in half. You just can't afford to ignore this. Call 800-409-5633. Or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex for specials. Don't let this offer pass you by. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. More of the best for less guaranteed. 
You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Ted Landau from Mac Observer and Mac World Magazine, been around the Mac universe for many, 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 many years, as I have. So I posed the question about attachments, and I had this problem. This morning, get an email from somebody on my iPhone, and they said, okay, please send me your media kit. So what did I do? Well, I got up, I went to my office, I turned on or woke up my iMac, and I attached the media kit. Couldn't do it on the iPhone. I mean, there are ways that you can do it backwards. What are the backwards ways you attach stuff on an iPhone or an iPad? Well, if the app supports it, you can go to the app that contains whatever it is you want to attach. So if it's a photo, for example, you can go to the Photos app and select the uh, Send Attachment or whatever the name of the Select Attachment, whatever it is. There are several other apps uh, that include a similar option to attach one of their documents. But if you find that your app doesn't have that feature, then you're simply out of luck. Or if, you, or if, like you said, if you're in the mail app itself and suppose you've composed this long letter to somebody and you want to s- attach it to that letter, as a, that email, as opposed to starting over with a special email in a different app, and you just want to say, attach something to this email I've just written, you can't do that either. So there is a good deal of limitation. In this case, what you have to do is send the email saying, I will send the media kit another message and then you go to the app that may be able to grab that particular file and then you send them a second message if you're lucky and if you can do it that way yeah and the other option that i discussed in the article that you might be able to get away with is posting whatever it is you want to attach to dropbox and then getting a, a dropbox link that you can put in your email and say just go here to get the file that can work also and that again assumes that the app that contains the document you want to attach supports uploading to dropbox In other words, what should be simple is complicated. We know about the workarounds. We can always hope, of course, that when Apple releases the preliminary upgrade information and the feature set for iOS 6, they'll say, guess what, folks? You can now send attachments direct from your Mac mail. That would certainly be nice, but I suspect we're not going to see that in this iteration, and that's partly what I get into in the article as well. There is a way that you can work around this problem and actually add an attached feature to mail, and it involves having to jailbreak your iPhone and then installing a, a, app, a jailbreak app called AnyAttach, which does exactly what you would want the mail app itself to do. There's a little paperclip icon that then appears in any message that you create in, in the uh, Apple a mobile mail app and you tap that uh, icon and a window pops up that allows you to go anywhere on the iOS drive and locate the document you want and attach it and I tested it out worked perfectly I, I sent an email to myself picked up the email on my Mac to see how it worked it was a Microsoft Word document that I was sending from QuickOffice or that I had created from QuickOffice I should say and it, it appeared perfectly on my Mac I could open it in, in Word on my, on my Mac it was exactly what I would have wanted and so then the question becomes when you see that this can be done is why is isn't it being done? You know, why has Apple not implemented this? Or why has Apple prevented other developers from doing something like this uh, jailbreak app uh, except officially supporting it uh, in the App Store? 
And the answer, I think, gets to the whole issue of sandboxing. Uh, and that is that on iOS, documents are not stored in a Finder-like interface. There's no desktop. There's no general folder storage like there is on a Mac where you can just store documents and then have something like Mail pick them up if they want to attach them. Documents for every app are stored within the app itself as part of the what Apple calls the sandboxing or keeping everything related to your app within the borders of your own app. And so for Mail to be able to attach any document that you might want, Mail would would need to have sort of the permission, so to speak, to go into all these other apps and locate the documents. And you'd also, as a user, have to have some ability to figure out how to navigate the operating system directory list and locate the particular app you want. And the way it's structured now, that isn't all that obvious. And so Apple would have some work to do if it wanted to improve the interface and get around this whole sandboxing issue. Now, of course, Apple could do it because they're Apple. Even if it breaks Apple's rules, (laughs) they're the ones who can break their own rules if they want to. But I'm not sure they really want to in this particular case. In the end, I mean, the, the, the sort of sad thing about thinking about all for me is when I look at features like that any attach feature and other features that I've written about over the years and a couple of others that I mentioned in this article it's the same feeling that I get where I see that there are all these features that are clearly doable that, that developers have actually done them already but we're not able to get those features because they break some arbitrary set of rules that Apple has put in place that says these are things you can't do and not only that we're going to do our best to make sure that you're that you're, you're not going to be allowed to do them anywhere on, on an iOS and now iOS device and now of course the same sandboxing rules are coming to the or have come already to the Mac as well because now Apple is enforcing sandboxing for any apps that are sold to the Mac App Store and as you might guess one of the consequences of that is that there are already some apps in the App Store that have features that are now prohibited because they violate the new newly enforced sandboxing rules and those developers are being told that the next time they update their software, they have to remove those features or the app is going to be kicked out of the App Store. And so now you even get a situation where things that you thought you had one day are going to be taken away in the future unless you're willing to get the software outside the App Store. Now, one of the features of sandboxing is something called entitlements where Apple allows certain system-related features or certain levels of inter-app communication to occur. So the real argument possibly with developers is which features can we get you to allow and what limitations can we expand upon? And you have to think Apple doesn't want to kill all these apps and all these capabilities and ultimately they will have to gradually allow different ways for developers to do things such as doing a clone backup of your Mac. That might be impossible under sandboxing. Or even the apps that we're using for this and many other radio shows where we capture audio from a Skype connection. Now, that's not just the province of podcasters, commercial radio broadcasters, our show, we use it. TV uses Skype. Everyone uses Skype. So right now, applications that capture the audio from Skype are not allowed under sandboxing. So something like Rogue Amoeba's Audio Hijack Pro or Ambrosia's Wiretap Studio or Wiretap Anywhere, they've got to figure ways around it. There may be no ways around it. 
Well, I, I agree, and I think that's the big sort of Armageddon issue that Apple is going to face over the next few years, and that is certainly for iOS devices and to the extent that Apple pushes the iPad as an, as an alternative to laptops in a post-PC era world, whatever, it's something that they will face. And as I've said, even on the Mac world, as they try to get apps more and more restricted to App Store purchases, they will face it. And, that, and the question becomes, will Apple find a way to allow these features like the ones that you've just described? to work in a sandbox environment or will they simply say no and say that if you want to continue using Apple devices you have to give up on those capabilities and and some of them are going to be pretty hard to give up on. I I think Apple is going to have to make some compromises and how they slice the bread so to speak will be interesting to see. It would be very interesting to see how far Apple changes the rules. I don't think they have much of a choice because with a desktop computer you have to allow a lot of things to happen that maybe wouldn't be appropriate for an iPad. So you have to think Apple is smart enough to find secure ways of doing all this trickery that we're talking about and still let the app developers get in there. I mean, right now, you can't even get a virus, antivirus, anti-malware app in the Mac App Store if it has what they call background virus scanning or active virus scanning, Mm -hmm. where if you download or open a file that has a potential of containing malware, it's going to scan it. What you have now are active scanning products where you run the app and you run a scan on demand. It doesn't have the automatic capability because that requires grabbing certain system features that Apple doesn't want you to have under sandboxing. They're going to have to think of a better way. I certainly agree. It'll be interesting to see what that way turns out to be. Of course, with Apple, they are inscrutable, so you will never get the answers until those answers are there. You know, maybe there will be a new version of Xcode developer tools for WWDC that will have enhanced ways to add certain features that otherwise would be prohibited. Well, and the other possibility is, as you say, they, they have these entitlements, and they can play favorites, I guess, with entitlements, that if you meet certain criteria, if you get a certain level of trustworthiness with Apple in your relationships as a developer, they could grant you entitlements to do things that they don't just grant to anybody. They could have level two so, entitlements. Right. So Microsoft might be able to do things with their apps that I said that Microsoft might be able to do certain things with their apps uh, and the entitlements that they might get from Apple that we wouldn't be able to do if you or I decided that we wanted to suddenly write uh, software for these devices. So therefore, the $99 I pay to be a member of the Apple developer program is not the same as the $99 that Microsoft or Adobe might pay, but then again, they may pay a totally different price negotiated that we know nothing about. We have Ted Landau. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. 
We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're joined by Ted Landau, who writes for Mac Observer and Mac World and has covered the Mac scene for many years. He is a troubleshooting expert. For the first couple of parts of his visit with us, we were talking about the difficult question of handling email attachments in the iOS for mail for the iPhone and the iPad, sandboxing, and the things that it might limit in terms of apps, because Apple requires that you can't talk to another app or the system without certain entitlements. Will Apple expand those entitlements? We'll have to see. Let's cover a few other interesting things. And there's one article you wrote very recently, and I mentioned this considering the fact that we have a different CEO at Apple than we had last year, Mm -hmm. and that being Tim Cook. And you had an article that came out just a couple of weeks back, Apple's six best decisions of the 21st century. Oh, yeah. I was wondering where you were going, which article you were going to talk about. Okay. I wanted to surprise you because that way I can keep you (laughs) off-center, guessing what I'm going to do, and frankly, some people think I don't know what I'm going to do until I do it. But forgive the spontaneity. You wrote the article. Let's cover some of those issues. I'll title them and you go on. Apple's stock history since 2000. I wish I invested in Apple stock, but then that would be unethical for a tech journalist. Yeah, that wasn't one of the six best decisions. That was sort of a background section in which I went into how Apple has done so well. Actually, or more to the point, how Apple didn't do so well at the start of the 2000s when people might think it was already doing quite well. You know, Steve Jobs came back to Apple in 1997, I believe. And there's, I think, some degree of myth that says from that point on, Apple was riding high. But in fact, it wasn't. In 2000, its stock was was still quite low, and it wasn't until about 2003, 2004, as I recall, I have to look at the article again to be sure, before the current rise in Apple stock really started to take off, maybe even as late as 2005. So I think at one point, uh, yeah, um, at one point in, in, in 2000, 2001, its stock value, or even later than that, its stock value fell to as low as about $15 a share. So as, as late as the early 2000s, you could have really made a killing by buying Apple. Then came the iPod. And yes, actually, the iPod was already out when it hit that $15 a share. It wasn't, it wasn't just the immediate arrival of the iPod. And that's, I guess, was the lead into the things in the article. I said, well, what is it that Apple did that really might have accounted for the stock-defying uh, gravity, so to speak? And, and certainly the iPod was one of them, though not right away. Uh, what I wound up saying was just as important, maybe even more important than, than the iPod itself, was the decision Apple made to make the iPod compatible with Windows. Now, according to Walter Isaacson in the biography of Steve Jobs, Jobs was opposed to making that for Windows. 
Initially, he was. I mean, obviously, he wasn't opposed in the end because nothing that Apple happened that he was opposed to. So he, he got his mind changed at some point. But yes, according to the book, at one point he said the only way it was going to happen was over his dead body. It happened, and he was still alive at that point, so clearly he changed his mind. But I think it was a momentous decision for Apple. It was the first time that they had really taken a product and, and vigorously attacked the, the Windows market with it. The other side, you know, the, the argument, and I know a lot of people that I was friendly with back at the time had that same feeling. The sort of the Mac community sort of felt like, no, don't do that. What you want to do is make the iPod just for Macs, and then people will have to buy Macs in order to get an iPod. And this will this will have a halo effect that will you know generate sales of Macs. And there is some truth to that. I think there is we have seen time and again some of that halo effect take place. But I think in this particular case and in general it was misplaced because Apple was in a period of transition at that point. And the, and the transition was that selling more Macs wasn't the main point anymore. That selling more iPods was the main point. And we can see that today because if you look at Apple's revenue, the amount of revenue that it gets from iPods and iPads and iPhones and iPod Touches is by far the vast majority of its income. The income it gets from Macs is now, uh, is now I think, probably less than 30%, maybe even less than 20%. Less than 20%, still an important part of the business. But right. moving it to Windows, I think, opened the door for Apple. And then the next step kind of really cemented their leadership, introducing the iTunes Store. Yeah, the iTunes Store was another way in which, uh, and which of course now is available for Windows, it's, it was going after the Napster phenomenon. It was saying, here were all these people that were downloading music for free. The music industry was in a panic, and Apple said, we have the solution. We will get people to pay to download software that they could otherwise download for free. Uh, and it will be legal, and it will be reliable, and it will be easy to do, and the quality of the music will be great. And there will be so many advantages to it that even though they have to pay for it, they'll be happy to do so. Not only were they right, but they were right big time because, as we probably now know, uh, the iTunes Store is the number one selling uh, retail location uh, for music in the entire world. And part of it, of course, the big part was getting the music companies to agree. Absolutely. And that had to be a miracle because look what's happening now. They're trying to get the entertainment companies to agree to things regarding TV and movie content, and that's been a much more difficult climb because yeah. the entertainment industry is stupid. Yeah, they, they view Apple as a threat. They don't want Apple to have, they don't want Apple to have control over how they get their profits, which is how they view the iTunes Store, uh, and they don't want Apple to be in charge of the decision making. And I can see that to some extent. I might have some of that feeling myself if I were in the entertainment industry. On the other hand, but, if you sell product in the traditional way to a dealer. The dealer still takes a cut. Yeah, yeah. And the bottom line is how are you going to make the most money if you're in these businesses? And I think playing ball with Apple will be a very good way to make a lot of money. So I wouldn't be as reluctant as they are uh, to do it. But the movie industry in particular is being very reluctant. They put out this new feature, new service, whatever, last year called Ultraviolet, which is a way of allowing you to watch movies that you purchase, say, as a Blu-ray disc uh, on your computer on the internet, on, on any of your devices. And it, it, it's it's a way of, of trying to market movies without having to have the user go to the iTunes store. Because you, you might know, like, for instance, like last year, a year and a half, whatever, if you bought a particular Blu-ray disc, it might say that the disc includes a digital download. So right, that you can watch but, the movie. but remember that 
product is distributed to a distributor who then sends it to Walmart or just sends it to Amazon, both of whom take a piece of the action. Here, Apple's getting yes. the digital file direct. That's coming through an intermediary, which is the dealer who sells you the Blu-ray disc. It still doesn't make sense yes. to me. I still don't see the logic. I have some problems with it myself. But the, the point that I was making is that a year and a half ago, if you bought that Blu-ray disc, it would take you to iTunes to get the digital download. Now it's taking you to this ultraviolet thing. They've tried to get away from using iTunes. Oh, well. But you can also buy the movie from iTunes to begin with, so it's ridiculous. Yes, it's still there. Okay. Apple retail stores. Now, before Apple came out with a retail store, everyone said, Gateway, okay? Yeah. Gateway. Yeah. I mean, they're not doing very well. So how can we assume Apple will? And they hire this guy, Ron Johnson, and he comes up with something fascinating. Yeah, I, I think it's, that's one of the more fun, spectacular success stories of Apple of, of this uh, new century. And the retail stores, I loved the idea when it first came out because my the bone I had to pick was there wasn't any place that you could go to get an Apple computer, a Mac at the time, that was an enjoyable experience. You could go into Comp USA, which was now, which is itself now out of business, pretty well, much. Well, there is a third-party uh, company that bought the name, so yes, there are technically not, a handful of Comp USA stores, but it's a name only. It's not the real Comp USA. Right. Well, you could go into Comp USA and ask to to buy a Mac, and the first thing that might happen is a salesman would tell you what a fool you were for trying to buy a Mac in the first place. And if that didn't happen, he would take you to some rear part of the store where there was a messy display of Macs that 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 he didn't really know much about anyway. And it just wasn't a good experience. I mean, that's what happened to me several times. And so I said, you know, there needs to be some place where you can go to buy a Mac that actually makes you glad that that's the decision you made. And so I thought it was kind of cool that Apple was going to take a shot at it. I wasn't convinced it would be a successful shot, but I was... I was real happy that they were doing it. And, of course, it turns out not only was it, again, successful, but it was mega successful. And, and you have to think uh, also, this came in the wake of, I recall, a story about a meeting with Steve Jobs and various Mac dealers. And he was yelling at them. He was screaming at them. He was cursing them out. You know, you've got to give our platform a fair shake here. If you're just going to throw our stuff in the back of the store, you're not going to sell our product we're not going to make money. We're not going to succeed together. So that's one of the things that inspired him, no doubt, to want to mm -hmm. have a Mac store. We'll get into more of that in a moment. And the remainder of those six things that Apple has really done marvelously and maybe some of the near misses. With Ted Landau, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com 
Good day, Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, June 8th, 2012. Gold opened this morning at 1582.10. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1621.90, 810.95 for a half ounce, or 405.48 for a quarter ounce. That's 1621.90, 810.95, and 405.48. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free. 800-686-2237. Attention, mindless criminals, thugs, and thieves. Go ahead, break a leg. American homeowners are fed up with your door kick-ins and forced entries. We now dare you to try your boot against any door reinforced with the Door Sentinel. The Door Sentinel pack includes a steel door jam plate with three and a half inch screws, a lock shield, and hinge shields. The Door Sentinel installs in minutes, securing any front, side, or back doors, even French doors. Criminals, be forewarned, your lake will break before the Door Sentinel will budge. Even if you have an alarm system, back it up with the Door Sentinel. Basic products starting under $20. Order your Door Sentinel today for your home, garage, or any building you own or rent at MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com or call 678-648-6757. That's 678-648-6757. Get your peace of mind back with Door Sentinel. The Door Sentinel. Always on guard. Love gardening but don't love seeing your hard work destroyed by wildlife? Then use the number one most effective deer and rabbit repellent you can buy, PlantSkid. PlantSkid repellent protects gardens, trees, and landscaping by emitting an odor that browsing animals associate with predators. So animals avoid plants before they nibble, not after. PlantSkid is made in the U.S. from non-toxic, 100% organic, environment, and pet-friendly ingredients. Other repellents wash off in the rain. Not PlantSkid. It's guaranteed to outlast all other repellents. PlantSkid was the first animal repellent to be OMRI listed organic and now comes in liquid spray, powder concentrate, or easy-to-use granular. Just sprinkle around your garden. For proven protection from deer, rabbits, squirrels, and other small rodents, use PlantSkid. Member tested and recommended by the National Home Gardening Club. Find a dealer near you at PlantSkid.com. That's PlantSkydd.com. Ask about our new vole repellent when you call 800-252-6051. That's 800-252-6051. PlantSkid, proven plant protection, guaranteed or your money back. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. We have Ted Landau joining us on the Tech Night Out Live, and we're discussing the six best decisions of the 21st century for Apple. And we're up to Apple retail stores. It's been hugely successful. They currently have 364 stores. But isn't it interesting also, it's not just that the press always predicts doom and gloom whenever Apple does something. It is that Ron Johnson leaves Apple to try to do magic with JCPenney, 
It's not going over well. I, I'm not aware of how well it's going over. I, I, I certainly know that JCPenney has not the kind of success with the stores yet that Apple has had, but he, he has a bigger job. Uh, with, with the Apple stores, you were pretty much starting from scratch, and you could say, this is how I want the store to be, and down to the last detail, especially with Steve Jobs behind you, that's how it was going to be. With pennies, you have hundreds of existing stores that already have layouts and furniture and whatever, and, and, there's, and there's a limited amount of money probably to redo all those stores. And, and it's a much bigger job, I think. So, and the I've other thing is about pennies is that for what a hundred years or so, J.C. Penney's has built a reputation, for better or worse, as a retailer. So, how do you turn that around overnight? The answer is you can't. Yeah, and it's not easy. Though I do like I did like their new ads with Ellen DeGeneres. I thought they were they were quite good. That's after, by the way, some people said, "How can you have Ellen DeGeneres? She's got certain sexual proclivities. We don't approve." But that's nonsense. Right. She's a wonderful lady. Okay, the next one. We got the Apple stores. And then there were some comments that I've heard from Steve Jobs pointing out how horrible mobile phones were. Terrible devices. And we agree with him. And then came the iPhone. Yeah, the iPhone for me is the single greatest piece of hardware that Apple has ever come out with and maybe that anybody has ever come out with in the technological world in the last 20, 30 years. I mean, it's just, it was just... I was there, and you probably were too, at the Macworld Expo keynote where he unveiled the iPhone. And it was as close to literally falling off my seat as I'm sure I ever was at, at any sort of keynote like that. It was like nothing that I had ever seen before. The whole touchscreen interface and the, the visual voicemail and, and the ability to, to have a full version of Safari right on the phone. Compared to the stuff I had been diddling with from AT&T and Verizon phones, and of course with the Motorola Roku phone, which was their lame attempt to combine a phone with iTunes, which was worse than, than, than having an iPod and a phone separately, as far as I was concerned. I wasn't expecting that much. And it was just a home run out of the ballpark uh, and into the next ballpark. It was really amazing. And of course, the, the sales bore that up. It became one of the most successful products of all time and changed the way that we view our culture. There isn't a person today, probably, whether they own a, if they own a smartphone, whether it's an iPhone or not, it's like the iPhone. And if they they don't own a smartphone, they know about how iPhones work and what they can do, and it's just become ingrained in our culture. And what you notice is the industry immediately decided to make their phones like the iPhone. Before the iPhone came out, it was the BlackBerry. The BlackBerry was the standard. And I understand, as a matter of fact, when Google came out with Android, when they originally bought the company in 2005, I gather they were going to compete with Microsoft. And, you know, it would be a traditional smartphone with a physical keyboard. Then when Apple came out with the iPhone, they changed their tune. Everybody changed. When Apple came out with the iPhone, suddenly the industry changed its tune. It was the product to beat. And Apple continues to aspire to greater and greater heights. So the iPhone was it. And I never had a smartphone before the iPhone. I never got a BlackBerry. I didn't care about playing around with those physical keyboards. I just had a straight feature phone. Then when the iPhone came out, I said, I'll get that. But the original iPhone didn't have an app store, didn't have a way to buy third-party apps, but they changed the following year in 2008. Absolutely, and that was another one of the items on the list. And again, this was something that Steve Jobs was initially against. In the same way, it's not 
totally unlike the discussion of sandboxing that we had earlier. Steve Jobs' feeling was he didn't want third parties to be able to muck around with the whole iPhone interface in a way that they would have to be allowed to do, at least in a limited way, if they could have their own apps. And his view was let them have web apps that run through Safari. Uh, and eventually he was convinced uh, otherwise. And, and uh, according to the Walter Isaacson biography, he came up with the idea of the App Store as a way of compromising, where there would be third-party apps but Apple would still have strict control over what those apps were and what they could do, which is pretty much what happened. And that made him happy enough to sign off on third-party apps. And boy, I'm sure uh, he was glad that he did, as, as is everyone who owns an iPhone or, or makes money from Apple. Because that, I think, as amazing as the iPhone was, even in its first iteration, as we were just talking about, I don't think it would have survived the competition from Android phones as, mu- as well as it has if it wasn't for the App Store. The, the selection of apps that are available through the App Store and continue to come out for the App Store represent both a greater quantity and quality than you can get anyplace else. And it, 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 it has changed the iPhone into a literal the digital Swiss Army knife, where no matter what you want to do, if it can be done with a device in your pocket, the iPhone can probably do it. Now, one thing you brought out in this article, and I want to mention this, consider that until the iPhone came out, until the App Store came out, Apple was second, third rate when it came to gaming. On the Mac, gaming, you know, was an afterthought. Didn't happen that much. And now, one sentence you have here, iOS devices comprise roughly 84% of mobile gaming revenue. Yep. So Apple's kind of taken over the gaming industry, except for the legacy desktop games and the consoles. Even then, yeah. when people are considering gaming consoles, maybe the iPad's a good substitute. I still think Xbox is doing pretty well, uh, and Sony, PlayStation, less so, and the Nintendo is trying to uh, bounce back a little bit from a downturn in the Wii with with the new whatever it's called that's coming out in any moment now. So I think the desktop machines are still doing okay, but for mobile gaming, the uh, the iPhone and the iPad Touch are, and the iPad are clearly where it's at. Where it's at. Let's look at the few items that were not included on the list and maybe explain why. Number one, of course, Macs. Macs are not part of the list, I guess, because they were Macs before 2000. Well, and also I said you know, the MacBook Air might have made the list, except that, that Macs just weren't where, where the action was in, in the 2000s. Everything that Apple was doing that was accounting for its tremendous profits were coming from the iOS side of the equation. And they, you couldn't eliminate Macs and, and have Apple be as good as it is, but you could come about as close to that as you could and, and not quite do it. And so uh, I didn't think that if I was going to limit the list to a really short list, and I was six was about as short as I could make it. I was even trying to make it five at one point, but came up with six. But if you're going to limit it to that short a list, uh, Macs weren't going to make the list. If I had stretched it to 10, I'm sure the MacBook Air would have been on What there. about Mac OS X? Because it is the platform from which the iOS was derived. Yeah, um, I, I, that was another one that I thought about including, and I, I felt that I limited it on technicality, for better or for worse. I said, really, Mac OS X predates the year 2000, that it was technically in place um, uh, in the 19, late 1990s, it wasn't officially released until 2000. But all the all the an, uh, announcements of its 
coming were, were already there before the year and 2000. And in reality, you could also consider yeah. the next operating system goes back to the 80s and Unix back to the 70s. We have Ted Landau. More coming on the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. Only Batteries.com is where to turn for all your battery needs. In stock, fresh, guaranteed, fast shipping, non-rechargeable batteries, rechargeable batteries, battery chargers, custom battery packs, all brand names for all the batteries you use at home, the office, the cottage, and the car. OnlyBatteries.com. Get 25% off using coupon code 7500. Call right now, 1-800-660-7705. Or visit OnlyBatteries.com. OnlyBatteries.com. That's OnlyBatteries.com. UtopiaSilver.com believes, as the Declaration of Independence states, that our rights come from God, not from government. The only lawful purpose of any government is to protect and secure the rights of the people, and no man or government has the authority to take what has been given to us by God. Among these rights are life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness. And America's government has ceased to be the protector of liberty and of the people's God-given rights. But we the people can return America to greatness if we are willing to stand up and reassert our stolen rights. We ask that you join Utopia Silver in changing America's course in history. To save on health care and improve your health, call Utopia Silver at 888-213-4338. For a limited time, new customers will receive 50% off all colloidal silver and colloidal gold supplements. Visit us today at utopiasilver.com. That's U-T-O-P-I-A silver, utopiasilver.com. Or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. 
And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. We have Ted Landau, and we've been discussing, well, first, sandboxing, the lack of an attached feature in the iOS for your iPhone and iPad, then Apple's six best decisions of the 21st century. We mentioned the six, and then we're looking at bubbling under the top six, the few additional items that, for one reason or another, didn't make it. And one, I guess, would be the iPad. Is that because it is derived from the iPhone, even though technically Steve Jobs was quoted as saying they were designing the iPad before the iPhone came about? Yeah, that was the one I got the most flack about in the reader comments. Many people said that I should have included the iPad, and I I can't really argue with it. On another day, I might have. The, the thing about the iPad, um, the reason I didn't include it was, yes, I viewed it when I was writing the article as a derivative of the iPhone, even though... Like you said, technically they were working on it perhaps before the iPhone. But it ran iOS. You know, you could run the exact same apps on it on the day that it was released as you could run on the iPhone plus the new apps that then became available. It basically was an extension of the iPhone. And so I said if I had to limit myself to five or six items, I wasn't going to have the iPhone and the iPad both on the list. But the other side of the coin that made me hesitate is that in many ways I think 10 years from now, whatever, maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter, when we look to see what has had the most influence on our culture uh, and on our way of life, I think the iPad is going to be the greater one. The iPad is going to be harder for other people to duplicate what it can do, and I think it will penetrate more into the different parts of our lives. We see it already where it is used in education a lot. It's changing the way elementary schools administer educational material to kids. Uh, as, As they get older, it's changing the way that you deliver text books. Uh, It's changing the way that you order food at restaurants. It's changing the way that doctors interact with patients in in discussing x-rays and and other test material. It's changing the way airline pilots uh, keep their manuals uh, in their cockpits and so on. I mean, just every place you go, there's a way in which the iPad is or or will soon be changing the way uh, you think about doing it. And so in that sense, I think it it is even greater than the iPhone in its influence. And in another way, they're using iPads now with some luxury cars. Instead of getting these super, super thick user manuals, you get an iPad. Yes, I think, uh, what was it, the BMW or what car was it? Well, I know that the Hyundai Equus, which is their very expensive model, that's a (laughs) $55,000 car. Imagine a $55,000 Hyundai, but that's included, and I think Mercedes might be doing it too. The apartment complex here, their leasing office is going to start using iPads to uh-huh. handle yeah. you know, rental applications, cool. to find apartments that are available. I expect the real estate industry is already starting to roll them in because imagine just showing a person a picture of a house on an iPad. They don't have to take some big, heavy notebook computer. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I'm friends with a few real estate agents, and they and they swear by them already. It's great for showing off the layout of a house. And anyone in the artistic community, in fact, if you're an artist and you want to take a portfolio of your work with you to show to somebody, you, more and more you see people just saying, well, pull out their iPad and say, Here, here's my work. Slide, 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 rather than having a notebook of, of artwork that they have to take with them. Well, just think, Captain Picard, aboard the U.S. Enterprise Star Trek Next Generation in the 1980s. Of course, they had a futuristic iPad there. Some people mm-hmm. suggest that's where the inspiration came, but actually they were considering pad or slate-type computers back in the 70s. So what do you think about all the lawsuits with Apple and Samsung and Motorola and everybody <laughs> in creation for iPads and iPhones and interface and everything else? Do you think this patent fighting is just getting out of control? Well, short answer is yes. Uh, my hope is that this is a phase we're going through. My hope is that the patent laws will be modified at some point, or people will get tired enough, or whatever, and, and at some point people will say, this isn't the way to do business. We're not helping ourselves by getting into these fights. But for now, it is the bottom line for, for corporations uh, is making money. And if people perceive that they can make more money by following these lawsuits than by not, and if other companies then have to get defensive and file lawsuits, suits just so uh, they can counter what what some crazy company is trying to do to them. Uh, as long as that's the coin of the realm, then we're going to see it. And I, I, I can't believe that this goes on forever. You know, what people were doing 40 years ago is not what they're doing now. And 40 years from now, they'll be doing something different. And I, I have to think that this is just one of those things that people will look back on and say, well, I remember that time when everybody was filing lawsuits against everybody else. Wasn't that a guess? It'll be part of our history. And part of it now is that companies file for patents defensively. I mean, you see all the patents that Apple has applied for for different technologies. Mm-hmm. Haptic technology, which gives a feel When you type on virtual keyboard, it feels like a real keyboard, I guess, some kind of interaction, some kind of feedback. The reason Apple does this, the reason other companies do it is defensive. They want to get there first, and the only way is to file that patent. It's really a mess, but I guess what could you do? It's basically, it's like the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. You have the big wrestlers who are played by lawyers standing up there beating their chests. Yeah, and then when you get these companies who exist only to file patent lawsuits, the patent trolls, as they're called, it gets very annoying. But that's the world we're in right now. Yes, we hope it will be taken care of. And we hope also that there'll be ways where technology can be licensed in a fair way. And right now they're supposed to be. But obviously we see that companies like Motorola will want to ask Apple for more money because Apple's rich. Speaking of that, I don't know if you saw, I just saw that that Motorola-Apple lawsuit was thrown out by the judge. The whole, the whole patent contention case that they, uh, the judge said, both pox on both your houses, essentially, and get out of here. Leave me alone, you work it out yourselves. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's try to work this out for this and the final segment of the show. And that is WWDC. We mentioned it in terms of what you won't see there, which, of course, would be the next iPhone. We don't expect that. It'll be an iOS 6. There'll be... More about Mountain Lion, very likely new Max. How about some predictions, my friend? You going to be there? No, I may. I might be there on Monday, but I don't have a ticket. Uh, I tried to get one more than two hours after they went out on sale, and that was that. But I will likely be there on Monday just to hang out with some people that I know that are going to be there. Predictions? It's looking pretty certain now that they're finally going to update the Mac Pro. 
by based on the fact that all these articles I'm reading say that the that the uh, stock of the Mac Pro has been emptied from most of the Apple stores. You now can't get a Mac Pro until June 13th, which will be after the June 11th announcements. Uh, and so I think it's looking really good for a new Mac Pro. You know, we'll just hit the Mac Pro for a second because there was a statement made by Jim Dalrymple of The Loop at loopinsight.com, and Jim Uh, seems uh, to know people who uh, tell him things, and he said in a very indirect way, or maybe more direct than that, that Apple will not discontinue the Mac Pro, which therefore implies there's going to be one. And now the specs come out because Intel introduced a new design of the Xeon processors, came out in March, and that's what powers it. We have USB 3.0, we have Thunderbolt. I think it's very Mm -hmm. simple for anybody out there to kind of sort of design the next Mac Pro. But do you think Apple's going to stick with a big, heavy cheese grater, or will they try to make it a little slimmer? I think they'll try and make it a little slimmer, but that's I, I have no I base that on no inside information. I guess the debate that I think Apple has with the Mac Pro, and I was one that actually thought the Mac Pro might disappear altogether, and I still think it might within the next couple of years, but that remains to be seen. The, the debate that it has is, on the one hand. The Mac Pro is not the direction that Apple is going in. We've already talked about that. And not, not, only, not only are 70 to 80% of Apple sales now coming from iOS devices, but of the Mac sales, something like 75% of the Mac sales are laptops, and most of the rest are the iMacs. Uh, the Mac Pro represents a minuscule part of, of its uh, income, and we saw that Apple was willing to part with some minuscule market uh, uh, um, hardware when it got rid of the Xserve computers, and I thought they might easily want to do the same thing with the Mac Pro uh, for the same sorts of reasons. This is just not where we're going. On the other hand, uh, the Mac Pro does represent a machine that appeals to what could be an important segment of of the market, the IT professionals, some graphics, high-end graphics video people and so on, and they, they may not want to completely abandon it. And if it doesn't cost them a lot in development money, if they don't have to spend a lot of time trying to overhaul the machine and just make minor updates, add a Thunderbolt port and a, a new generation processor and so on, they might say, well, you know, it doesn't cost us much. Let's just keep doing it as long as it's making enough money that we're doing okay with and here's it. why radio is... America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are... The GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition.
Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze-Dry Guy clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze-Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze-Dry Guy, the best you can buy. In an emergency situation, would you drink contaminated water? You could if you had the amazing Life Straw from MyPatriotSupply.com. Life Straw is the most advanced personal water filter available today. It filters contaminated water from almost any source. Life Straw is lightweight and compact, perfect for hiking, camping, or in an emergency like a flood. Life Straw is easy to clean, comes with a one-year warranty, and has been used worldwide since 2005. Get the amazing Life Straw personal water filter at MyPatriotSupply.com. Plus, check out Survival Seed Vault, 20 seed varieties for only $37.95, Tatler canning lids, long-term storable foods as low as $69.95, and much more at MyPatriotSupply.com. Enjoy stress-free shipping on all orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927 or visit MyPatriotSupply.com. That's 866-229-0927, MyPatriotSupply.com. For emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We know that we have Ted Landau, and we've been focusing on the WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference. The question I have to ask in passing, Apple puts the tickets on sale two hours later, they're sold out. Do you think they should have picked a larger place to hold that event? No, because I think they can't have that many more people come. This is a big 
operation for Apple. They have virtually all of their engineering staff available for developers to meet with and ask questions. And if they opened it up and had 20,000 developers instead of 5,000 developers, I don't think Apple could, could handle it in the way that it's being handled now. It would have to be a different type of event where there'd be far less opportunity for developers to have one-on-one uh, interactions with, with the Apple people who are there. So I, I think what they're doing is um, is pretty much the limit. Uh, I think the two-hour thing was a bit of a surprise to them, actually. Uh, it, it sold out in about a day last time, the year before, and they tightened up the restrictions on multiple purchasing of tickets for this year, where, where they said you, you know, last year you could buy a ticket, for instance, and not activate it, and then sell it on eBay and let somebody else activate it. And so you could sell it for a profit. And Apple put the kibosh on that this year by saying, if you buy a ticket, you have to use it yourself. And so I think Apple actually thought, well, with, restrict- with new restrictions like that in place, we'll sell out in a better day like they did last year. And 24 hours is fine because it gives everybody a chance over the course of the day to, to get a ticket. But I think they just didn't anticipate how much the demand was going to go up. And uh, despite whatever they did to make it harder to, to scalp your, your ticket, so to speak, the ticket sold out in two hours. And I think they're going to th- possibly think about doing s- – I'd like to think they're going to do something different next year. Let's put it that way. I won't hedge my bets quite so much. Uh, I, I think they, there's no reason that they couldn't at least pre-announce when the tickets are going to go on sale like they do for new products. You know, they'll say the new iPod is going to go on sale Friday at 8 a.m. or something like that. They like a that. rock concert. Yeah, they could they could do that for developer conference as well. So, or they could have some sort of lottery even where you know you get a you get a number and then the the winning numbers get to actually buy tickets or something. I mean, they could do lots of things that would be perceived as fair without making it so that you have to get up at five thirty in the morning if you're on the west coast or some other ungodly time if you live someplace else and hope that you get a ticket within the first five minutes because that's how long they're going to be available for sale next year if the way things are going. Okay, so we know Apple will be telling us more about Mountain Lion OS X 10.8. But the question I have here is you think Apple is going to release it that day or are they going to release it a couple of months later? I go for a couple of months later. It's just going to be like a final release candidate. Oh, for Mountain Lion, I will they release it there no, if I had to guess. But I don't think it's going to be that much farther away. I think it will be released over the summer. The other question is here, will it be twenty nine ninety nine, or will Apple say, you know what, we're doing these things every year now, and we give you the iOS free. How about Mountain Lion being free to Lion users? So if you have Snow Leopard and you haven't upgraded, you pay twenty nine ninety nine, but you get Mountain Lion instead of Lion. If you already have Lion, it's free. I think that that's... I'd give that a 50-50 probability. At one point, I was guessing that they're on a sort of every other year cycle where there's leopard, snow leopard, lion, mountain lion. And the second one is not quite as big an update as, as, as the first one. And I think in this particular situation, yes, they could say from lion to mountain lion is going to be a free upgrade. And then the next one, when it's mountain lion to whatever the next name, cat or non-cat is going to be, that one you'll have to pay for but I wouldn't be shocked if they say you have to pay for this one, too. Uh, I, so I'm on the fence on that. I wonder how Microsoft will think, though. Either way, when they're pricing Windows 8, and they haven't done so so far, are they going to say, well, Apple charges you twenty nine ninety nine, or it's free or it's whatever, but we have to charge you $175? Well, they have to do something like that because they they don't have hardware. That's the big advantage. Obviously. And sometimes 
disadvantage that Apple has. There, there was a time you, were, um, you remember when the operating system was free. If you owned a Mac, you just got it. Uh, then Mac OS 7.1, it became mm-hmm. a paid upgrade for $99 and went up to 129 for OS 10. Yeah, yeah. So Apple rethought how they could make money from the operating system after all those years and said, why are we passing up such an easy way to make a buck? And uh, they were probably right from a monetary point of view. But still, Apple views the hardware, I think, as the primary sale. And so they can afford to sell the operating system at a severe discount compared to somebody like Microsoft. Or free just to really drive it home to Microsoft. Say, well, we're giving you the one and only version of Mountain Lion, and it's free for Lion users, but Windows 8 you got to pay for it. Sorry about that. Okay. We kind of expect there'll be new MacBook Pros mm-hmm. without the optical drive. That's history? No. I think they will have optical drives, if I had to guess. And these are all guesses. And my, I, I have to say, my guessing record is far from 100%. So who's ever listening should, should take this with the appropriate grain of salt. But I, I, don't, I think the MacBook Air line is the line that's going to be without optical drives. And I don't think that Apple is necessarily ready to say that even the MacBook Pro line is going to be without optical drives. If they really go in that direction, I think if I were Apple, I'd be thinking about merging the two lines and say, well, if nothing's going to have an optical drive anymore, why do we need a separate line at all? Why not just make everything a MacBook Air and be done with the Pro altogether? MacBook Air, 15-inch, MacBook Air, 17-inch, maybe. But then you'd have to have more ports with those. I think people who buy a professional notebook expect to have the FireWire and the wired Ethernet and the extra stuff. Yeah, well, uh, I guess it becomes a semantic thing at some point. You know, when you could have a MacBook Air, have some of those extra ports in the the 15- and 17-inch sizes only. Or uh, the MacBook Air Pro, but that's kind of confusing. Right. But, you know, then at what point do you say, well, it's a MacBook Pro because it has those ports, or it's a MacBook Air because it doesn't have an optical drive? Uh, You know, the the marketing people consider around and play with that. And I think they would rather not play with it because that's not Apple's game. Mm. Okay, Retina Display. Does it migrate from the iPad to the MacBook Pro? Well, again, based on no inside knowledge whatsoever, which I have to keep We're saying. just shooting from the uh, hip here, folks. Right, right. I think it depends upon how you define retina display. If you define it as something that you can't distinguish individual pixels at a comfortable distance that you're typically going to be working with that device, and that comfortable distance is there is at greater than, than the distance that Apple calculates for the iPad or the iPhone uh, because you're dealing with a, a MacBook, then I think, yes, it's possible that you'll get something that fits the definition of a retina display. But if you're talking about something that's, uh, that's at the same pixel density as the Retina Display iPad? No, I don't think you're going to see that. I don't think you need it because with a notebook, you tend Mm. to look at it from a farther distance. Mm. And the same is true with the iMac, even more so Mm. because it's farther away, and a 27-inch iMac is going to be a couple Mm. of feet from your eyes. And even Mm. now, I can't see the individual pixels that it makes up. Everything looks pretty sharp. I guess they could have a slightly higher quality screen, but it would cost an incredible amount of money to source a 27-inch screen with double the resolution. Uh, yeah, there's no way you're going to see that t- uh, next week, that's for sure. It's not going to happen. You'll see solid-state drives. Yes, I think that's the direction things are going. Uh, it makes sense. They're, they're, they're the only downside, really, to solid-state drives is the cost uh, of, of getting you know, a really high gigabyte uh, or amount. So I, uh, as the cost of solid-state drives goes down, I think they're going to be used more and more. It's going to come, maybe not this week or the next, but maybe in a few years. An Apple bought an Israeli company that develops 
solid state drive technology, maybe they're going to try to find ways to get more density onto those chips and thus sell them for less money. I mean, now if you have to spend $1,000 for a 512 gigabyte drive, that's horrendous. I guess Mm -hmm. if you buy a Mac Pro for $10,000, it doesn't matter. But if you're a regular person, that is horrendous. Yes, it is. I don't, are they really that expensive? I don't think they were that expensive anymore. But, uh, they're pretty expensive. Uh, I think maybe $900, uh, something like that. Ted Landau, uh, where do we find more of your stuff? Well, you said at the Mac Observer, uh, where I write the user-friendly view column, Macworld, I do a bugs and fixes column, and that's basically it, around here. That's how it goes. You can find us, com. Once again, that's com. If you like Twitter and you like to do those tweets... Well, it's Tech Night Owl. At Twitter, it's Tech Night Owl. And by the way, on Facebook, I am Gene Steinberg. And that's it. The easiest way to find me. And we have that other radio show about things that go bump in the night, UFOs and weird stuff. And this week about a weird trip to the rim of the Grand Canyon where our co-host Chris O'Brien and J.C. Johnson and other people found weird stuff. But this is not weird stuff. This is the Tech Night Owl Live And thank you, Ted Landau, for joining us on this week's episode. Thanks for inviting me. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.